Good evening, dandies. Welcome to Undetermined, the podcast. We made it to part three. We did. We did. Danny Phillips, Dr. 47, as he's known, uh, St. Joe promoter and writer, big in the music scene up in uh, northern Missouri, and a great guy, just a, all around uh, interesting uh, cat and, and very down to earth. Yeah. Here he is t- talking a little bit about uh, Justin's Towns role. Yeah. Yeah. It was real nice. Oh, Justin Towns Earl. Oh yeah, you posted about that. He is one. He is one of. The, he was one of the nicest, coolest interviews I've ever done in my life. Yeah, and it's sad that he's gone because I'm such a, fan a of, such a loss. Yeah, such. I'm a, a shame. fan of his music. I'm. A, I've been a fan of his dad's for years. Mm-hmm. A yeah. Steve Earl mm-hmm. fan, long time. Yeah, that was yeah, that was a hard one to take. Yeah, that was. That interview with Justin was supposed to be 15 minutes, and it wound up being an hour. Nice. Wow. His publicist broke in a couple of different times and finally Justin said, I will get a hold of you when I'm done talking to this dude. I'm having a good time. Yeah. <laughs> we were. We were talking about manner shit. He was on his way to pay a speeding ticket. I'm like, oh, what are you doing right now, dude? Paying a speeding ticket. I said, shouldn't they put that in your fucking track? And he said, as fast as I drive, they probably should. <laughs> yeah. I would have loved to have talked to him. That would have been a fun one. Man, yeah, he was a good dude. Just that one interaction I had that, you know, hour or whatever it was I talked to him. He was a very nice guy. It was on the dreams list, I think, when we first started out. And then, and then it, uh, you know, came past. I interviewed him like right before or right as his first record was coming out. So he was a young cat and he was appreciative of everything. Good dude. Yeah. He doesn't look much like a superhero. Nope. <laughs> another another Johnny Boyle hookup, uh, Brendan Talon. Yes, a really talented guy. And the new record is just a, a a pop phenomenon, in my opinion. It's really good. It's really good. So, without further ado, here's uh, Brendan. I mean, the, the the story with Old Man Superman. Tell the story because I love this story. Usually, when I'm writing a song, I will come up with the theme of the song. And the, for the main line of the song that kind of tells me where the song is going to go, you know. With Old Man Superman, I, I came up with, with, I mean, there's a four parts to the song, so it's quite a complex arrangement. And it changes keys and stuff, all lots of stuff going on in it. But I, I, was, I just came up with it on guitar really quickly. Then I just couldn't get a, an idea, a tune to get. This really never happens to me because they both usually come together, you know, the music and the lyrics. And but I had all the music there, so I, I literally had the song for two or three years. And I just kept, every now and again I just go to it and listen to it and sing along with it and try different lyrical ideas. But nothing really caught my you know attention. And then one time I was just taking a break from uh, listening to it. I was searching around the internet looking at news items, and I read this story about this guy in Japan who was a retired engineer who had volunteered to go into the Fukushima power plant. Instead of sending young guys in, his, his logic was that, well, I'm 75 years of age. I know the plant as well as anybody. I'll go in there. Yeah, I'll get radiation poisoning. I'll probably get cancer from it. But I'm going, you know, the cancer will take five, six, seven, eight years to kill me, at which point I'll be in my 80s and I'm going to die anyway. So don't be sending young guys in there who have young families 
and all that stuff. And he wasn't saying it like, oh, here I am, I'm a hero. He was just saying, look, this is just... It's like a pragmatic. It's just a deeply logical thing, you know? Very Japanese kind of thing, uh, way of thinking, you know? I mean, to be honest, it's a universal, you know, uh, thing to protect the younger generations, I suppose. But uh, So I just thought that was fascinating and... Without reading too much, I didn't research the guy. I didn't. I just read that article, and it just. I went for a walk thinking about it. And by the time I got back, I had all the lyrics, and I, I rang up a mate of mine, and I said, "Here, you know, you know that song I've been telling you about that I've been struggling to come up with a subject matter." And I he, I told him about it. And he said, "That's a terrible idea." For a song. <laughs> <But> I, <laughs> I think it's brilliant. Yeah, yeah. yeah but so I, I, when I just, I just imagined the guy like this old man, Superman, like he's coming to rescue. Uh, and you know he's tottering along uh, looks like this little old guy but he's actually got this superpower which is just the power of this logical idea mm-hmm. that uh, is going to save people's lives because you know it, it isn't unfortunately the the punchline of the story was that the authorities turned them down mm-hmm. because they didn't want to be shown up for not being in control of the situation you know right which is typical uh, government and corporate response uh, you know, everything's fine here, guys. No, nothing to mm. see. You know, we, we don't need old people coming in here sorting our problem out. But it was such a good idea that the people who signed up, up for it became known as a kind of a, the skilled veteran corps. And eventually, they, I think they had a few hundred members. And now they kind of go around giving talks and... You know, it's kind of, I'm not sure exactly what the, you know, what the, you know, the overall message is, but I think it's an ethical one, I suppose. Yeah. All right. Guess who's back? Frog Pond. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another Kansas City legendary group. For sure. Giving us some great stories, not only about their formation, but uh, things about some of the worst gigs they've ever had. And, and also about old friend of the show, Lisa Umbarger. Yeah. Telling some stories about hers. Do you have any like favorite disaster playing stories? Oh, yeah. I just remember a really long time ago, we went on tour with our friends, TB50, who Byron and Brad, or Will Byron Human, he's in Knife Crime now that Brad was in. Yes, I've got that record. It's great, by the way. We were in Florida. Justine, I don't know if you remember this. Weren't we in Florida? And that was a situation like we played to absolutely no one. I mean, I think there was a few shows. Oh, yeah. What, didn't you go to College Station, Texas, when the same situation happened? Oh, yeah, I'm sure. I can't even count the number of times where the bartender was just like, hurry up, I want to close. Right. Uh, <laughs> no, you're not going to be paid tonight, you know. Like, right. okay. Well, we did get calories from beer sometimes. Right, beer and <laughs> maybe a cold piece of pizza. And it's food. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm glad that it, that did get better over time. <laughs> I mean, that was one of our first little tours that we did. That yeah. was, I just, they were, that was fun. It was so fun though. Oh my God. <laughs> you got any good Lisa stories? Oh yeah. <laughs> that you can tell. <laughs> you know, um, let's see. There's one that was more of a, on a personal level, but I can tell it. So that's good. But we've got a lot of stories where we opened up for them in Texas and it was just, it's absolute anarchy at their shows. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she likes to like make stories up and do some crazy stuff. But actually, I was with them in Hawaii. They played a show and I went and then we went to Maui after. And when you're in Maui, we took like a rented car over to the other side of the island. But you're supposed to drive back the way that you came. 
because it's not safe to drive the other half of the island. So, of course, they drove the other half of the island. (laughs) And it's like there's cowboy, like real like people that will come out and like rob you. It was blackout you don't wow. there's no streets and you're on a cliff the whole way so you hear the 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 ocean waves and she was just singing the loudest craziest songs in the back seat because she knew that i had the pit of death in my stomach i think she was trying to like break me mm-hmm. <laughs> and i remember one of the song that i was like she knew that i was not happy with was the melissa etheridge song Mm-hmm. <laughs> that song was and she was just screaming it in the back and going hey justine are you scared are you worried oh, God, don't drive over the cliff did you see that oh my god and i was like i think i'm gonna die <laughs> so on a personal level she broke me but she does that kind of weird stuff like they'll be in vegas and she had like a handheld like blackjack thing in her hand like a, like a computer game mm-hmm. and she walking through the casino screaming when she won <laughs> but like it was on a handheld i don't know if, i don't know if she got kicked out that time but yeah she does like some of the funniest things and she's a great interview like she told people that she was an ewok when she was a kid in the movie star wars <laughs> yeah. And people would like believe it and like ask more questions. And then she like said that she was in Little House in the Prairie as an actress (laughs) when she was a kid. I mean, like you just never know what's going to happen next with her. Right. And of course, I would just sit there and like stare just to see what was going to happen again. That's awesome. Patrick Keenan. Another friend of mine personally from um, here in Como works at uh, B-Side Records guitar player for the stone throwers had some uh, uh, funny stories and, and one in particular about his uh, uh, days in working with roller derby mm-hmm. i saw somewhere well, i think it was on your website that you uh did an announcement for uh, a roller derby here in town didn't you i haven't done that in a while the whole team is completely different now than when i was announcing for him and everything like that well that must have been fun yeah i didn't even know we had a league here what year was that Oh, the, it started about five or six years, maybe about 10 years ago or so. Okay. But uh, the COVID thing really wrecked it. Mm. I don't I, I they, they didn't even have a season the last two years. So, yeah, it's it's hard. Really, hard. I mean, I, I know a, a girl who does that, and it's just it's super difficult, even major cities, to get, like, funding for it and, and sell tickets. They got to work promotions so hard to keep those things together. And it sucks because they're really fun. I do have to brag about the first year of the Cobo Derby Dames, though. Undefeated the entire year. The announcer? <laughs> no, the, the, <laughs> no, no, the, the, Como, the, the Como Derby Dames were undefeated the first year. Nice. Cool. Man, it looks like a lot of fun. I mean, you get free tickets, too. That's great. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> Was that hard to do? I would imagine keeping up with all that would be challenging. The, the the challenging part is coming up with the funny puns and everything like that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Oh, cleaned up on aisle three. <laughs> right. That's going to leave a mark. <laughs> <laughs> she got blitzkrieged. <laughs> right. Because they're all kind of campy. And- you just like write down a bunch ahead of time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty much how I did it. And nice. I think once I had to ask, is she dead? <laughs> <laughs> did you ever see any like legit bad blood? I can't recall. I can't recall. I, I don't remember seeing anything because 
typically these girls are very friendly and very nice to each other until they get out on the track. Uh-huh. Yeah, they're all lovey-dovey and everything like that. Right, it's a community. Yeah, and then they flip a switch when they get on the track, and you know, it's all to quote Whiskey Shindig, "Kill, kill, kill." <laughs> right. How it's it's. Awfully violent. That was hard to remember, by the way. <laughs> Did you write that down before you came no, it, 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 <laughs> After she said it, yes. <laughs> okay, so we got a little mysterious this year. Jason Offit, writer of, I think he corrected me, in like having 16 books, something like that, on the paranormal. Right. One of our spookier episodes around Halloween. Yeah. I, I've been interested in... Uh, all things weird my, my entire life. When, when I was you know, really young, um, I, I didn't watch Sesame Street or Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood or anything like that on because they're at the same time, they were lost in space reruns. <laughs> right. Okay, so that's what I wanted to watch, you know, that and the original Star Trek. And then as, as I got a little bit older, some, something happened to me. Um, I was... I was in my house. Uh, it was at the time it was 120 years old. It was a, a two room schoolhouse back in the day. And mm-hmm. um, it was turned into, into, uh, to, into a house. And it was, it was the afternoon and I walked out in, in out of my bedroom into a hallway that was just right out of my bedroom door. Huh. And because that's where we had our, all our bookshelves and, and we had our encyclopedias, the world book encyclopedias were in there. Oh, yeah. And I wanted to get the D for dinosaurs because I loved looking at that one. I was about eight years old and there was there was a boy about six years old standing in, in the hallway. And um, we lived six miles outside of town, the nearest town. Huh. Uh, we were a mile away from the nearest house. I lived out. I, I lived uh, on a farm out in the country, and there was no little boy within forever of my house. Yeah. So that that really surprised me, and and I mean I can still see him in my head. The hair parted uh, parted on the right side. It was uh, uh, you know slightly tousled. It was it was it was brown hair. He was wearing a brown flannel shirt and blue jeans, and and I could see the bookshelf through him. Huh. And he just looked at me and, and I have no idea how long I looked at him. It could have been five seconds. It could have been three hours. It was probably five right. seconds, of course. But uh, then he blinked. And, and, and when he blinked, uh, I, that broke my fear. And I just turned around, walked back into my bedroom and I shut the door and I didn't talk to anybody about it for 30 years. Wow. Yeah. Uh, and that got me really interested in, in 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 ghosts and mm-hmm. and, and about the same time there were uh, newspaper stories about Momo. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, Missouri Monster. Yeah, yeah in, in in the early seventies because I'm old, <laughs> and and I would read about those in the newspaper. And my gosh, there's a Bigfoot in my state. <laughs> um, yeah, so so those things got me understanding that there are things in this world that are supposed to be false. They're, they're, they're supposed to not exist, Hmm. but they do. One, I saw one, two, they were in newspaper reports. Other people were sure that they saw them. So that, that got me uh, really into the paranormal. And uh, I also like monster movies. So, so that didn't hurt. Sure. Yeah. We've both had some experiences of our own. We have. Um, I've never seen anything quite as astounding. as like a, a full body apparition. That sounds just incredible. 
That's one of the things that I, I didn't know. Of course, I didn't know at the time because I was, I was so young, but how rare those things are. Yeah, right. Yeah, so if, if, if somebody sees a full-bodied apparition, they're either lucky or extremely unlucky, how, however they right. feel about their you know, encounter. Bleed the victim. Topeka. Something in the water in Kansas making some excellent metal. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a funny, raucous conversation with them. And, uh, <laughs> What's the coffee that the monkey shits out or something? The beans? Yeah, oh, it's, a, it's like a, a sort of cat-like creature. Uh, what's it called? But yeah, uh, yeah the cat, it's like cat shit coffee. It's, a, it's the most expensive coffee in the world. What? Yeah. Has it got gold in it? No, it's, it's eaten by this thing. And uh, in the Amazon rainforest, I believe they eat the coffee beans. I thought it was in Africa. I don't know. Was it in Africa? I've got to look this shit up. But anyway, yeah, they shit out the beans. Like, they eat them whole, I guess, uh-huh. and they shit them out. And the, the, there's, like, a process that the bean goes through in their uh, digestive system. Uh, it's supposed to taste really good. Well, you just write a song about that shit. Right. <laughs> <laughs> we already wrote one song on here. What was it called? It's called Kopi Luwak. It's a coffee that consists of partially digested coffee cherries, which have been eaten and defecated by the Asian palm civet. It is also called civet coffee. The cherries are fermented as they pass through a civet's intestines, and after being defecated with other fecal matter, they are collected, and I'm sure they wash them really good. <laughs> What's the price on that yeah, shit? how expensive is that shit? That shit is like $60 a pound for this oh coffee. That's crazy. Yeah. We should yeah. get some. Fuck it, guys. We should you do it on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll do it. We'll do it. We'll try it. Taste we'll do another. Dude, we'll it's got to be the greatest shit on earth. Yeah. You know, if somebody had to just be like a really huge coffee fiend. <laughs> like hard. You know, <laughs> and they had to be Jones and like real bad. Right. God, I got to get coffee. Oh, okay. I need oh, some God. coffee, man. Well, I found some beans. <laughs> but, uh, oh, man. That, oh, they just <laughs> shit those beans out. But that's God, what I'm God. saying. That's, I got to get that's, let it pass and it'll be really good. That's the purest form of caffeine right there. Oh. Straight from the shit. Straight from the food. Uh, <laughs> funniest part of the story is the two cavemen look at each other and one's like, hmm. <laughs> not bad. <laughs> hey, Dwight, you're not feeling yourself, man. You know, hipsters pay a lot of money for this. <laughs> grab that shit. This does feel like song material, though. It does. Oh, yeah. No. oh, yeah. You can write a whole story about that. That's a whole album. Yeah. A, a whole concept album. <laughs> passing uh, coffee beans through. Reggie got hit by a brick? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Phil Doe. Phil Owen. Thanks for coming back again. Yeah. Fildo, close to my heart, as being a revolting cock and a member of ministry, gosh, tour with Pigface, uh, so many industrial bands that, that I'm a monster fan of. Got to talk about his uh, skate nigs origins. And uh, some of his uh, more interesting uh, artistic expressions on stage. <laughs> I go to a friend of mine that I used to run a club with. Um, he, we, I was a DJ at a place called The Cave Club. Okay. That place uh, had gone away, and my friend Brad first. Brad has this club called the Cannibal Club, and I go to him and I say, "Look, and we've opened up for ministry a couple of shows. This is what I want to do. I don't want to come in through the the front door and like open up for three bands and like work my way yeah. to the top because I don't think we've got the stamina. <laughs> what I need is a Friday night to headline." We need a, we need to start out as headliners. And what I'm willing to do is I'll get Frank Kozik to make a poster. 
Right. We will give you all the cover money. We don't want anything. Just give us a chance to play. If we do well, you'll book us again. If we don't, we'll work our way up. Well, that Friday night, the first headlining show, we packed the place out. Nice. I had no idea. He was two months behind in rent. He got caught up on rent. Nice. And so we we started out with a really good reputation in Austin for getting in a club and, and making them money. So, But what we did was we came in, and I think that night we busted a bunch of TVs on stage. And I remember, like, the second gig we played, we had a big white cheesecloth scrim across the front. And the three of huh. us on the front came in, and we dropped our pants down behind it. And we shined flashlights on our balls, so all you could see was the silhouette of our <laughs> uh, three, three, three sets of balls across the front. So we played this long circus music <laughs> intro, and mm. so that ate up like five to ten minutes. You know, people throwing shit through the cheesecloth. I'm tired of looking at your fucking balls. Nice. Play something, goddamn it! You know, Freebird, whatever. And uh, so we, we would play. So we kept up that thirty minute set time deal for like a year and a half or so. Keeping the uh, mysterious, we did a we did a crossover this year. We did. There is another undetermined the podcast. Mm-hmm. Doctor N. She's pretty cool. Yeah, I think we're planning on some more things in the future too with her. It's undetermined. It is undetermined. Please welcome Doctor N from uh, Undetermined Death Disappearances and Mysteries. Ooh. And listen to her podcast as well. Yes, absolutely. I was taking um, an, a music elective, just a basic kind of music theory. Mm-hmm. And they had these practice rooms in the music building in the basement. They were all in the basement. Mm-hmm. And it was an old chapel. Mm-hmm. So I was down there one night and people were down there a lot of the time in the evenings practicing or doing work. It was like a Friday. So there weren't a whole lot of people around and no one was down there. I was the only one. The lights were out mm-hmm. in the hallway. So I knew no one had been down there in a while because they're automatic on a timer. Right. I go down there. I just like pop into the first practice room. No big deal. I'm like tootling around, playing the piano, trying to do my homework. And at a certain point, I, I start hearing like this beautiful piano music. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, someone else came down here. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I didn't hear anybody come through the door because I was right next to the outer door that goes upstairs. I was like, that's weird. The door's pretty loud. Yeah. But they could have come down the elevator, which is around the corner. I thought, oh, they probably just came down the elevator because it was coming from the other end of the hallway. So, you know, I I finished my work and I was like, oh, maybe I'll just go see who it is. Just curious because it was like a really great song and I didn't know what it was. I still don't. Hmm. And I was like, I just can't place it. It's like I wanted to know what they were playing and it Yeah. <laughs> sometimes I had dream about it and I'm like, God, I really want to know what that stupid song is. Mm. So I walked down the hallway and I can see a light on mm-hmm. in the room at the end and it wasn't on before. And I thought, oh, someone is here. And in my creepy way, I didn't want to <laughs> scare them or distract them. So I kind of they the practice rooms had these like window panes. Right. Like the little windows you can see in. Yeah. So I kind of like peered <laughs> into this window. <laughs> Music stops. Mm-hmm. <sighs> no one's in there. And I'm like, wow, huh, that's weird. That is weird. <laughs> My first impression was like, oh, maybe they went to the bathroom. <laughs> yeah. I was 18 and stupid. So I went to the bathroom. I checked everything. No one's there. Yeah. I used the bathroom on there. Come back out. And the light in that room wasn't on anymore. And I was like, huh. 
Weird. I must have just missed them. Maybe they were like out of view when I looked in the room, you know, coming up with all these Mm -hmm. reasons why it's not creepy. And, you know, at that point, it's like 10 o'clock at night. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) No one's around. Uh, I had a cell phone, but it was like in the days where like minutes and texts were limited and expensive. Yeah. So I, I was like, um that's odd so i'm walking back past the room uh-huh. and it's like really cold mm-hmm. next to the door and i'm like oh it's really chilly probably left the window open someone, yeah <laughs> that's what <I'm> <laughs> right I thought maybe someone left a window open because it was like october or november and it was kind of getting chilly huh. i was like oh that's that's weird and i went back to my practice room and i was like you know what i should just leave mm-hmm. and that was the point where i was like this is weird yeah and I should just go. And I did. And I never signed up for another music course. Wow. We're keeping the creep factor going with this one, man. We are. Buying from Knife Crime. Mm-hmm. Their new album, Lovely Gary, is amazing. He's also got a past in forensic science. And uh, we get to hear him talk about that a little bit. I went to a couple autopsies. Mm. And if you've never been to an autopsy, it is insane. You know, they they cut out all your organs and they, they weigh it all. And then they put it in a glad bag back into your body and sew you up. Huh. Seeing the face, you know, pulled off the skull is oh. is, is an interesting one. Yeah. You know, because lo- it's a misconception that your skin is attached to your bone. Mm-hmm. It is not. It's just kind of wrapped around your skull. Yes. And, you know, seeing a human brain, that's always, that was, that was interesting and. Right. And then there's a crime scenes and stuff. And Wow. So you were there for the real deal. Oh, yeah. For crime scenes, not just like a... Yeah, it was evidence collection. Huh. I saw some, some murders and... Wow. If you want to hear an interesting story, this guy committed suicide. Mm-hmm. He shot himself in bed and he collected like war stuff, right? Mm-hmm. So you get there and he has some like, there's like grenades on his, you know, like his knickknack shelf or whatever. Right. And right. they were dumb. They were dummy grenades, you know, just the metal ones that they've, they've hollowed out. Right. Drilled out. Yeah. So before, you know, the coroners could take the body, we had to tie a rope to this guy's leg and it was a 300 foot rope and we strung it out of his bedroom, out the front door, down the block. Police had to clear the neighbors and we were all on this rope and it was like one, two, three. And we all yanked as hard as we could Mm -hmm. because I guess there had been cases where people had died and they booby trap. Yes. On top of a grenade. And when, you know, the people would take the body up, it would kill more people. Yes. Yeah. And that had happened enough to where that was like the standard operating procedure if they expected. Wow. So then we came back in and, you know, this guy that was just laying on his bed, I mean, he did shoot himself, so it was messy, was, you know, almost into the living room. Oh. Yeah. Huh. It was crazy. I was like, that's interesting. That's. That is. Crazy. Yeah. Crazy thing. Yeah. John Heights, the big old nasty get down. Yeah. Wow. I mean, what can you say about this guy? Uh, he's been working in the industry for quite some time with a, a cast of over 200 plus. He knows a person or two. 
sure. Heavy in the funk scene. Um, recorded everybody from, you know, George Clinton to dumps the funk. I mean, I, we don't have enough time for a bumper. No. It would it would swamp uh, the amount of, of time that we have in this clip. Yeah. I learned through a, a major train wreck while being interviewed by Larry King the importance <laughs> of not being stuck to a certain script or expectation going into something. I'm not sure if I have ever talked about this on anything publicly. Go on. So I used to party a lot back in the day. Mm -hmm. And I, I showed up having been up all night, like just a, fucking train wreck barely barely could talk in front of a live studio audience oh no and it was to talk about george clinton and george clinton's artwork oh no and so i was handed basically the script from the showrunner of how it was supposed to go down this was my (laughs) very first live on air, like uh, TV camera yeah. interview, and it's fucking Larry King, right? Right, yeah, not so, small. Yeah, no, no, yeah. no, and I don't know why I thought it was okay to make the decisions that I made the night before, but somewhere <laughs> in my mind, like, you know, this, this makes a lot of sense. I can make myself sure. go to sleep by like midnight, oh, yeah, sure, as I'm like tossing and turning and it's 6 30 and i've got to be up at seven <laughs> so all of a sudden i look at the the other guests that are on there and it's like sherry belafonte and curtis mayfield White <laughs> and david foster and all these people that for oh. years and decades have been groomed to be awesome on camera <laughs> and then there's, there's my dumbass that shows up just like <laughs> barely even able to tell them who i am which you know is like i don't mean to laugh at you finally i'm the last one to go yeah. and i've seen all the rest of the people do their shit and it's brilliant and i'm like right. i got it right. <laughs> the first thing that happens is former miss ireland and i have to do a lead-in for <laughs> my segment mm-hmm. and i'm already not doing so great and so then <laughs> so then the thing is i've got to go outside and yeah. the whole thing is like come through these doors from the outside off hollywood <sighs> boulevard and into the place where it's being filmed, which is the first floor of the W Hotel. Okay. And it's a corner unit, all windows, so people can look in and you can see the audience from the outside. And it's just like, holy shit. That's intense. Yeah, it was super intense. So, So I get in there and I sit down, all of a sudden the finance, the guy that's putting up the money for this show is also gonna be interviewing me. And I don't know about this, so I'm sitting Larry to the left and this other guy to the right of me. And the first thing I notice is they've got one of the Clinton pieces upside down. (laughs) And they start asking about it. And I freeze. And and all of a sudden, I notice the cameras. And I'm like, holy shit. (laughs) Every single question. And at one point, there was 
Larry's ex-wife, Sean, was doing a segment with him mm-hmm. for me. And I, I think it may have been with Sherry Belafonte. And she fucked up or something in, in her, her monologue or, or whatever and was like, stop, let's cut that again. Right. I'm like, okay, cool. So <laughs> at, one point, at one point, I pulled the stop. Ask me that question again, again. right in the middle of everything. <laughs> And that's when it really hit the fan because now everyone's looking at me like, what the what fuck the- is this guy doing? <laughs> is, is he like trying to produce? Like he's, he's, he's prominent and now he's trying to produce it too. It's what? So yeah, that was the Larry King disaster. I mean, this is going back years. I, I, oh. If it was a little bit fresher, I probably wouldn't be talking about it. All right. Uh, this next guest, who? We have been excited about this one, and in full discretion, he's not been on yet. Right. We know he's going on this episode. Right, right. And as long as uh, nothing happens. This is a dream get for me. Um, I have been a monster Mr. Bugle fan, a Phantom Us fan, Tom Hawk fan, everything this guy's done. I, I'm a little intimidated. He's going to eat you, man. He's going to just chew you up and spit you out. Yeah, I know. Hopefully, he's just a down-to-earth dude. Yeah. I think he will be. I think so, too. Yeah. Here's the interesting thing we talked to Trevor Dunn about. Right. <laughs> One of my favorite lyrics of yours is, is uh, my art imitates crime. Oh, yeah. Uh, it's just like, one of my, you know, <laughs> I often use that, you know, when they talk about uh, nature versus nurture or things like that. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's, you know, that's true. Of course, you know, songs about a lot of different things. I love that song. Yeah. But yeah, there's always that kind of dark underpinning, I think, too, regardless of how poppy or, you know, like in California, those albums. I just think that that dark underpinning lyrics and the transitions, things like that into Uh different forms, that's that's what really hooks me. Yeah. I can listen to those albums forever. Oh, cool. I was just going to kind of tell on myself and kind of uh, bring up, you've got the new project right now, Sperm Church. Yeah. Yeah, I just released it i started my own label in order to get it out there yeah which you know yeah it seems like a really smart idea during the middle of the end of the world like, hey, <laughs> we need a new record label that's what we need yeah but i don't know i just it, i needed to get it out there so <laughs> yeah oh i dig it for sure i really do so the thing i was going to tell myself with and i i this is more about me than anything else but i was listening to it i was just catching like oh man there's this kind of bellish sound that's going on in there and i was really just trying to be always trying to be open-minded when i'm listening to new stuff especially when i know it's somebody such as yourself that really kind of likes to um push boundaries and play with things uh-huh. so i'm like i hear this bell sound it's really cool. um what's going on by that and then it was carrying on to the next song and i'm like huh and that was man it's just really arrhythmic and what's going on here it was the fucking wind chimes outside my window <laughs> <laughs> Uh, that's great. i love that it blended in you know i mean i've been like wow what is this why is this note in this song and then i realize it's you know someone's car alarm down the street you know right i was trying really hard to figure it out yeah <laughs> what does it mean is there a theme going on here <laughs> the bells the bells <laughs> go through the whole record yeah yeah i mean that that music is really you know i can only take partial credit for it because the sanity of the electronic musician yeah it's it's really it's all ninety percent her really and she's got a really incredible sense of rhythm and um, I don't know I learned a lot from her about rhythm actually and and things you can do with it and 
that's why this project is so uh, different from anything else I've done. I was on board and like, yeah, this is not something I'm used to doing. And it's not like I'm trying to put out, you know, I'm always like, I need to cover every genre or something. It's just like, "Ah, I want to do something that I haven't done before, you know? Right. (laughs) Finally, our last guest of 2021. We kind of hit the bassist trio there. We we did pretty well. Yeah. Nice trifecta. Holy Trinity to some and to me for sure. Because uh, David Pastorius is an amazing bass player. I play with the likes of Tech Nine. Mm-hmm. Pat Travers. He's got his own solo shit going on. Local 518. Yes, Local 518. And we found we were influenced by a lot of the same cats growing up. He's just an amazing bass player. Pretty cool dude. Yeah, and just insanely talented. Uh, here's a little story from uh, David. Yay! I joined the band the, towards the very end, but I, you know, I probably played like good twenty shows with them. Oh, really? Right on. Yeah, uh, but I mean, I remember first seeing. I first saw Fleshy Headed Mutants like going to a show. They were opening for Infectious Grooves. Oh, no, oh no. sweet! Wow. So, Is yeah. that who's that? What? Robert Trujillo. Robert, Robert Trujillo. Yeah. Yeah. He's played with so many people, man, yeah. including you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So, man, that must have been a trip for that to come around full circle. Oh, yeah. It's so it's so cool because, you know, flash forward, it was like I, be, I became friends with Robert. Yeah. You know, he, he did the Jocko documentary. And he's friends with the family, with John and Julius and Felix. And I got to meet him, too. And he's just the nicest guy. Yeah, I'm a longtime Suey fan, so he's close to my heart. Oh, me too. And and it's funny because I told him because he, he's such because he, Jocko was like his hero, and I'm like that's so crazy because I mean like he's one of my heroes, right? Robert Trujillo is. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And it was it, what was funny was he invited me. He actually let me stay at his place in Ven- his beach house in Venice Beach while he was out like for like a week or two. Nice. And he let he left me his car to, to like you know to go out <laughs> oh, to to jams and stuff and let and like check it out. But it was funny because. The craziest thing was one day when I was hanging out there, his Robert's father showed up mm-hmm. and he's super nice guy too. And uh, he came in the house and we're just watching like a VH1 behind the music on Metallica. Uh-huh. And it's like the whole scene when Robert gets the gig, you know, and they offer him the money and all that. Uh, and it was mm-hmm. like, he, apparently, apparently Robert's father had never seen that. So we watched that together. Oh, that's kind of crazy. And I'm like, how weird is this? I was wow. like, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I man, I was so pleased with that announcement. Anyway, you know, oh, if they were going to find a replacement anyway, then I was like, yes, he deserves it. Yeah, I was like, couldn't have picked a better one. Okay, that's it. All right, thanks, Dandies. We had a wonderful, well, at least an interesting 2021, and thank you for sharing that with us. Absolutely. Uh, thanks for all the likes, listens, loves, shares, share, share, shares. Please, please share. Share, share, share. Um, we could use that. And we're looking forward to seeing you in uh, 2022. Yay. Everybody have a, a wonderful holiday season, and uh, we'll see you soon. Bye, everyone. Bye.